love that tune from Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Welcome Utah skiers and riders to Last Chair. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And a big thumbs up to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. Passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. We also welcome Red Ledges, a 2,000-acre community just minutes from Park City where you can experience the best of what Utah has to offer. Visit redledges.com to discover Red Ledges. And welcome back to Jan's Mountain Outfitters, your go-to shop for year-round recreation. Stop by a Jan's store in Park City or visit jans.com to learn more. Jan's, your mountain recreation experts. As skiers and snowboarders, we've come to love the convenience of high-speed lifts whisking us quickly up to the top of the mountain. The history of skiing very much revolves around the evolution of on-mountain transportation. You know, there was a certain romantic element of the old double chairlift that used to haul us up 1,200 feet of vertical in maybe 10, 15 minutes or more. Today, though, six-pack and even eight-pack lifts make that much more efficient from the loading process itself and of course, the uphill speed. Now expand your thinking out to the implications of mountain lifts connecting us across an entire region. Visit resorts in the heart of the Swiss Alps or in the cragged peaks of the Italian Dolomites and you'll see stunning examples of how mountain transportation networks can literally change communities and make us less tied to our gas-guzzling vehicles. In this episode of Last Year, We'll take a fascinating look into ski lift technology from old-fashioned double chairs up to high-speed eight packs to the D-Line and S3 technology lifts that are already in place. The next generation, we're seeing it already on the mountain. And we'll also talk about the proposed lift transportation network for Utah's own Little Cottonwood Canyon, which right now is featuring Doppelmeyer's innovative S3 technology as one of the possibilities. We're joined today by the leader of one of the foremost lift engineering companies in the world, Doppelmeyer, which has its USA base right here in Salt Lake City. Doppelmeyer USA President and CEO Katarina Schmitz grew up in Austria, skiing at a tiny resort. She ultimately moved to America to pursue a career in the automotive and aerospace industries before landing here in Utah with Doppelmeyer just a few years ago. It's a fascinating conversation about how Doppelmeyer, a 130-year-old Austrian company, has remained a leader in helping us get up the mountain and ferrying people from point to point in every corner of the world. It's a fun interview where you'll learn a lot more about what you can expect in the future of mountain transportation. Now let's welcome Doppelmeyer USA President and CEO Katarina Schmitz on Last Chair. And we are here today at the headquarters of Doppelmeyer USA, not far from the Salt Lake City International Airport, and with us, Katarina Schmitz. And Katarina, thank you so much for joining us on Last Chair. Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's a real pleasure. I've been looking forward to this one because being a skier for many, many years, I've become infatuated with ski lifts and not just for skiing, but just for mountain and urban transportation. And we're going to cover a lot of topics here, but just to get things going on this before we start to get into the nitty gritty of ski lifts, tell us a little bit about Doppelmeyer USA and how it came to be located right here in Salt Lake City. 
Sure. So Doppelmayr USA has been in the area since right around 1978, 1979. We had our one of our predecessor companies, SeedTech, founded here, which was later morphed into Garaventa and then became part of Doppelmayr. Today, we are the U.S. headquarters here in Salt Lake City, and we're dedicated to serving the U.S. market and also our Canadian customers. We have local engineering, construction, production, service, and sales staff here. Most of our 200 employees are right here in Salt Lake City, but we also have folks that are scattered throughout the rest of the country in sales and service roles mainly. We do operate a really neat installation out in Portland, Oregon, which has a a separate team there as well. Now, the origins of the company are European-rooted. It's over 125 years old. Give us a sense of the global scope of Doppelmayr. We have uh, around 3,500 employees. About half of those are in Austria. The rest of us are scattered throughout the world. I think there's about 50 subsidiaries throughout the world. The North American market is a key part of that. So we typically make up around 15% of the group's revenue. In really strong years, we're a little bit closer to 20%. So we certainly have a lot of attention from our group's headquarters and a lot of support as well. So what was it that brought the company here to Utah? I know it predates you, but what are the attributes of Utah that's made it really good for Doppelmayr to be here? I think a couple of the key factors that come to mind, Utah having a very business-friendly environment is probably was a factor back then, certainly is a factor now. In addition to that, having, you know, several world-class resorts right in our backyard is a real benefit. You know, it helps us to collaborate closely with customers, not only in Utah, but throughout the West. And then having a Delta hub here is, is really nice to visit the rest of our customers throughout the country. You know, just coming in here and looking out in the, in the yard, and there's a lot of lift components over there. You're in a business where your raw materials are, are big and they're heavy and they're bulky. And how do you manage all of that? <laughs> well, there's a lot of logistics aspects. So we're, you know, really look at ourselves as a kind of a globally connected company. We buy a lot of materials all over the place, uh, brings some challenges for the teams at times, but it also really ensures us to have centers of excellence that focus on a specific thing. And that way we can make sure we remain a technology leader and bring everything together in a, in a just successful way. Now, Doppelmayr USA is responsible for America. I know that you also are involved with Canada, but how collaborative is the company as a whole? Are you in communications with your units around the world frequently? Yes, I would say with our Canadian colleagues probably every day, with our European colleagues at least several times a week. And then there's also other facilities that we support as as things come up. It's a truly rewarding environment for me, you know, to be able to see people collaborate and uh, step up and find an optimum solution for our customers. So that's one of the fun aspects I really enjoy of being part of this group. Speaking of finding solutions, all of us have been involved in the pandemic now over almost the past two years, and certainly I'm sure it has impacted your business. How did you roll with that over the last 18 to 24 months at Doppelmayr? I would say like most tourism-related businesses, and we clearly are a Tourism-related business 2020 was tough, especially the first few months where everything came to a pretty grinding halt very fast for our ski area customers especially. I think we navigated as well as we could. We collaborated closely with our customers to find alternatives in terms of plans for execution and timelines for their execution. We had four projects that moved into this year from last year, which uh, we're very happy that they're now wrapped up. But there there certainly was an impact on our team and, and, of course, of our customers as well. 
you are dealing with very big projects, projects that cost millions of dollars. So were you able to work effectively with the resorts to kind of make that transition and moving a project from one year to the next work for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, our customers have been great. I think we're you're very committed to finding a solution that works for everyone. You know, for some of them, it meant like they had a little bit more planning horizon, which actually turned out beneficial. But uh, yeah, these projects are now in service and we're very excited that they're buttoned up. When you look back over the pandemic year that we all came through, we learned how to ski with masks and a variety of other things. We learned some new technologies. But at the end of the day, it was pretty much a record season last year, and in particular, right here in Utah. And I imagine that springboarding off of that record year has been good for your business in terms of resorts looking ahead to new lift development. Absolutely. And I think we already saw that in 2021, where there's been a very swift recovery of the U.S. ski market specifically. I think it was the fifth best season in the country. And like you said, one of the best for Utah. And so certainly we have seen a very strong interest in new investments for new ropeways for 2021, but even more so for 2022. So it's very exciting times for us. And I think very exciting times for skiers right here in Utah to uh, see some new lifts coming. Well, later on, we're going to talk a little bit more about lift technology and some of the things that may be coming here in Utah. Let's look a little bit at your background. I know you're relatively new to Utah. You've been here for about three years. You are an avid skier. First of all, tell us a little bit about growing up. And I know it was a long way from lift development, but as a young girl growing up in Austria, how did you eventually get into these industrial businesses that you've been in? So I grew up in a small town called Affluence in in Austria. It has about 1,200 people. So it's a fairly small place. We have a local mountain called Burgalm, where I learned skiing, probably around four or five years old. It has uh, about six lifts, and except for two, they're all surface lifts. So you get an idea of it being a pretty small family-oriented place. It does have world-class mountain huts, so in case you're interested. And then I went to engineering school at a fairly young age, went to boarding school, got a business degree later on, and decided that I would want to move abroad, work abroad. I moved to California in 2005, have lived in the U.S. ever since, and have really enjoyed working in engineering environments and production environments. So I've worked in automotive for about three years and then joined the fairly large aerospace business in California, where I've worked for about 10 years, mainly on new product development with large engineering teams pretty much all over the world. When you were growing up in Austria, I know you lived very close to a small mountain, but did you get around Austria? Did you get around the Alps to ski in different places? A little bit, not as much as I probably wish or should have. <laughs> but the closest big mountains to my hometown would be in the Salzburg region. So certainly I went there on a few trips with my parents, but a really world-famous Ischgls and Arlbergs were kind of on the far other side of the country. So I've actually now had more chance to go back since I'm visiting our headquarters in Wolford, which is much closer to to that part of Austria. So when you were a young girl in Austria, did you ever ride up a ski lift thinking that someday you would be in a position to be designing and selling and merchandising these amazing lifts? I don't know. Growing up, I was dreaming about being a pilot. So uh, it's close, aerial transportation, right? (laughs) 
but yeah, it's been just a wonderful experience and I'm very glad I'm, I'm here with Doppelmayr today. What did you do in the aerospace industry? I worked for Zodiac Aerospace. We designed integrated interior and systems for pretty much any large aircraft manufacturer, so for Boeing or Airbus or Bombardier. I was working on the development side, so anything you could see or touch in the cabin, whether it's seats, overhead bins, lavatories, galleys, like any kind of pallet or cabin feature would be part of our work scope. Yeah. Given that you have an engineering degree and your role here at Doppelmayr, you run the business. And how much of that causes you to draw on that engineering experience? I'm, at least I'm going to assume that you're not up there designing the lifts, so to speak. But does it help you really to have that engineering knowledge when you're running the overall business? Absolutely. I think the key benefit is really knowing to ask a certain kind of question. Like the answer clearly comes from our technically staff, but being able to critically review information and tailor, you know, the right kind of question to get to the the bottom of whatever the issue might be has been very helpful to have some engineering background. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about lift technology and its evolution. I was thinking about this before the interview that as skiers, we know ski lifts uh, as means of getting from the bottom up to the top and then skiing down. But the same technology was used here in Utah by the miners going back really 150 years ago, where they used aerial tramways to haul the ore from the mines down to the trains. I know that this is well before you've been involved with this, but can you give us a little sense of the importance of the engineering of lift technology has been for mankind over the last maybe 150 years or so? We're looking at ski lifts, but it really has gone much further than that. It has, and like you said, it it started with material transport, and actually Doppelmayr still has a material transportation segment, so it remains an important part of our business. I think the core market for us clearly is transporting people these days, but I think even there we have seen a lot of evolution from, let's say, a first surface lift in, I think, 1937 or so that Doppelmayr built in Austria that really started the company's ropeway business. They've been around for about 40 years or so before, not working on ropeways, but on other kind of industrial products. And then if you look from there into you know, how fast we came to a first detachable around 1970, or so. And then the innovation since then has just been mind-blowing. So I think it, it shifted the profile as to what ropeways are used for or used in, but you know, these the origins of it are still present, I think, in, in today's world. And clearly the material transportation side still is as well. Can you define out the term ropeways? I think as skiers, we look at chairlifts and are on this cable, but we don't know the terminology. But the terms that involve wire rope and ropeways, can you tell us a little bit more of the origins of that and what it means? Yeah, I think the in terms of ropeways, it's really, you know, think of any means of transportation that involves a rope pulling a carrier of some sort. And that carrier could be looking like a little train which we have some applications in Las Vegas or, you know, other amusement type of rides. I think the one that we're all most familiar with is an aerial ropeway where you're on a chairlift or a gondola, but there's also surface lifts where you still have a rope pulling you up the hill in the form of a T-bar or a platter lift. So there's different types. I think the most common ones for sure for our group, but also for our customers are surface lifts or platters or T-bars, fixed grip chairlifts or gondolas where um, the carrier moves around 
the installation at the same speed. So the grip is permanently fixed to the rope, which means the lift is not running very fast because you have to be able to load without any incidents. And then really the detachable segment where the grip opens as it enters into a station, slowly moves through the station, which allows passengers to comfortably load. And then you have a high-speed ride back up the mountain once the grip re-engages as it leaves the terminal. And so those are kind of the big ones you see, but there's lots of speciality lift types. There's larger systems called tri-cable systems that would be for high capacity, very long distance type of applications. You have funiculars, you have funitels, you have big trams, obviously, like we have at Snowbird. And these have just really unique specialized applications. For those of us who are old enough to remember this, the old rope toes, the old T-bars, the old platter lifts, do you still do installations like that in some locations? We do. We typically do about a couple of T-bars or platter lifts a year. We're not too much into rope toes anymore, but certainly a T-bar or a platter lift is something that we do both in Europe as well as, as here in the U.S. What's a typical installation? I'm sure that it's a unique environment that you put those in, but what's a typical situation at a resort? that would call for a T-bar? There's a few different considerations. One of them is wind. So if you have a very exposed lift line, some customers like to tuck in a T-bar with a very low profile and just keep the skier on the ground. That tends to be beneficial if you're in a really harsh environment. Where we see it more often is really training hills because it allows for fast laps. And so that's really the ones here in the U.S. that we have seen in the last few years is for ski racing programs uh, where they're a great option and a very cost-effective way of getting up the hill. And so that's another reason you might want to consider a T-bar. We're going to explore this a little bit more when we come back from the break. We're going to learn about new technologies and lifts up ahead of us and also look at mountain transportation and what a role that lifts play in various forms all over the world. We're with Katarina Schmitz of Doppelmeyer USA, and we'll be right back on Last Chair. Hey, I'm a lift geek myself, and I love to imagine the future we have in store as skiers and snowboarders looking to get around the mountain even more efficiently. Living on the backside of the Wasatch myself, one of our favorite drives is heading just a short distance from Park City to look at the stunning views of Mount Timpanogos. One of the most spectacular viewpoints is from Red Ledges, a 2,000-acre community just minutes from Park City where you can experience the best of what Utah has to offer. The combination of breathtaking views and easy access to active lifestyle adventure is what really sets Red Ledges apart. You can spend the day skiing at Deer Valley, just a short shuttle ride away, go hiking or biking on the surrounding trails, play a little golf on one of Red Ledges' two Jack Nicholas courses, or participate in one of the many club activities. And best of all, at the end of the day, you can simply come home to Red Ledges and relax on your own deck to stunning views of Mount Timpanogos. Red Ledges offers home sites and custom homes to make your dream life a reality. Visit redledges.com to discover Red Ledges. That's redledges.com. Now let's head back up the mountain to learn more from Doppelmeyer leader Katarina Schmitz in Last Chair from Ski Utah. And we are back on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Today we are talking ski lifts with Doppelmeyer USA President Katarina Schmitz. And 
Katarina, you've introduced us to a few new technologies. We've talked about some old technology like platter lifts and T-bars, but I want to talk now about the different products that you have as Doppelmeyer, but also other companies have as well, but the different products that we as skiers see at resorts. When you get into discussions with resorts and with resort planners, how do you guys all work together to figure out what types of lifts are going to work better for different situations, be that terrain or volume of skiers and so forth. There's probably a lot that goes into it that we as skiers don't think about. I think you touched on two very important points, so terrain and alignment certainly being the big and obvious ones. Capacity is a big topic these days and how many people do you want to move up the mountain per hour. That you know, comes in a few different ways. You can address that lift speed is certainly a factor in that, but also how many carriers you have. While you typically want to go up the mountain fast, you want to be really slow going through the terminal. And so we found in recent years that having slower carriers through the stations, having longer loading intervals really, really helps with keeping the lift running and not having any misloads as you go. So that's also explains a little bit why you see lifts with, let's say, six-seater or eight-seater chairs. So you can have fewer carriers, longer loading intervals, and you would still have the same capacity doing that. Can I just stop you there? I want to go back to the the six and the eight-person lifts. And are we going to see 10 someday, maybe? Maybe someday. Okay. <laughs> we'll hold that one for future. But I am curious about how it works. And, you know, you touched on those points here that ultimately it's a part of the overall capacity. But when you go from a six to an eight, I imagine you're also changing the loading time structure and how many lifts are actually on the ropeway. I mean, in essence, you know, with an eight-seater, you would have a higher ultimate capacity. Most resorts don't strive with that per se. They're trying to get a certain capacity, and then it's a question on how comfortable you want your load interval to be. Of course, if you look at an eight-seater, there's other constraints too, like the amount of space you have and and other factors that you want to consider before you just say, hey, I'm going big and I'm going eight-seater. I think we'll certainly see more. I think this year and especially next year, there is a real up in six-seaters and eight-seaters as well, where just, you know, increasing the load interval is a big topic. And it ties into one of these other big factors is, you know, the level of skier that really uses that lift. If you have a beginner area, that's maybe one of the most important factors is making sure you can load them. If you have, you know, an alignment where it's all expert skiers, that's probably not your concern and, and you'll be looking for some, some other factors. I think as a skier, it's interesting because when we look at those lifts, we just think, oh, there's an eight pack and that means there's just a lot more people. But from what you're saying, it really is, is there's a lot more to it. It's really more the convenience and making sure you can get those people on the lift, get them on safely and comfortably. Exactly. I think that to me is actually the bigger factor is just achieving exactly that. Have you put any eight pack installations in yet? Yes, there's one at Big Sky, the Ram Charger. I went in in 2018 and we'll see some more coming. There's actually one at Loon that was installed this year, and we'll see more coming next year. That Ram Charger, while I haven't been on it, I know the lift and I know where it goes, and it really is an extraordinary lift. But what have the reviews been like on that? Has that really helped with that whole loading process? Absolutely. And it also has really factored into the decision-making for future lift for the Boeing Group as well in terms of you know going with a long load interval because they've had such a good success in loading that lift. 
when you're talking to resorts about upgrades like this or new lift installations, what kind of a time frame, lead time are you looking at? So this year in the 21-22 season, are you talking about lifts that might go in this summer or a couple years out, or is it just varies with the situation. It varies with the situation. I think it varies with the year more so than anything. So historically, the U.S. market has been pretty unique in terms of pretty short lead times where our resort customers would, you know, go through a good part of the winter season, see how they are doing and say, hey, you know, season went pretty well. Can I have a lift? Now we have seen this change a lot within the last two years where, you know, we're getting much earlier inquiries, which is certainly the right thing to do. It allows for much better project planning on both sides. It gives the local mountain teams much more time to prepare the mountain, whether it's road or major earthwork or snowmaking or things that typically happen in conjunction with the lift construction. And so I think right now we're seeing a trend towards, you know, 18 to 24 months type of window for lift planning much more than what we used to see where it's like 9 to 12. And of course, there's always special circumstances with you know special time constraints. But in general, I think it's a, a step in the right direction for successful project execution. And we're, we're very happy to see that the industry is catching on on that. We're talking about high-speed lifts from the six-pack up to the eight-pack. Let's talk a little bit about fixed-grip lifts. Do they still fill a niche at resorts? Absolutely. So we actually... Our core competency here in Salt Lake City is manufacturing fixed grip lifts. So that's what our shop focuses on. Again, the U.S. market is a little bit unique in respect of having a real strong demand for fixed grip lifts. Same in Canada. And so it remains core part of our business. And we have a lot of customers where that's still a suitable application, you know, fitting their needs, fitting their budgets and fitting what they're trying to accomplish on, on their mountain. And again, as we talked about with the high-speed six-packs and eight-packs, what are some of those unique characteristics that you would find where a fixed-grip lift would really be the way to go? Is it kind of depend on maybe the volume of skiers who are looking at a particular area or different types of terrain? Are you asking like in which situation you would favor a fixed-grip fixed over grip, a yeah. detach? I think first and foremost on a budget consideration. That's a big driver for a lot of our customers. And then the second one is is capacity. If you have a part of your mountain that sees, you know, a very manageable number of skiers, you might opt that route. Also, lift length is an important factor on a fixed grip. You know, if you looked at some of our older, longer lifts, you might be on the lift for 20 minutes to get up the hill. And you really have to gauge on is that something that your customer wants or not. But there's a lot of great applications, especially shorter lifts where it's just a very suitable product. It's a very reliable product. And I think one big factor, it's a simple product. So depending on the type of staff and expertise you have in your specific ski area, you know, on a fixed grip lift, there's just a lot less moving parts, obviously, and it's a simpler control system. And there's, you know, just a factor of ease in operation and maintenance that goes up quite a bit when you switch to a detachable product. You know, when I was growing up, you could be on a lift for a long time. I mean, I remember the Park City gondola that used to be in there was a 25-minute lift from base to top. Yep. That's not tolerable today. <laughs> but you used to have time to develop relationships on chairlifts Absolutely. with the people you would meet. Now you have to condense that into a six-minute ride. You have to be efficient about your conversation, that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. It was interesting looking at your catalog and looking at, at some of the types of lifts that you have. I'm familiar with some of them, but we've been talking traditional chairlifts, and you're in 
inventory of products goes way beyond that. What are some of the other innovative lifts that you have out there now? One innovative product that's been around for a little while would be a gondola, where you have a detachable lift that would have open chairs or chairs and gondola cabins. That's a real great solution if, let's say, you have night dining on a mountain where you might have some guests that would want to ride at nighttime, not necessarily in ski outfits or just other great applications. It's also a real good solution for ADA access. We have level walk-in cabins, so you can comfortably get into a cabin if there's some mobility constraints. So that's, you know, one unique one that we do see a little bit more here in, in the States as well. Yeah. I'm going to go to the Snowbird Tram because it's just so iconic for us here in Utah. That's a lift that's uh, 50 years old now. And I think that you still actually, your team actually does service on that. There aren't a whole lot of those in the world, but that also is a really amazing conveyance to get skiers up the mountain. Absolutely. Like any tram that's out there, just more or less immediately becomes an icon. I mean, you look at the Jackson tram or you look at Snowbird. And so they just have this really uniqueness about them that people are attracted to. It makes for an amazing ride. You typically have pretty long spans, pretty impressive terrain where you find them. They're very wind stable, so you can keep them running in, in pretty bad weather. So yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very much proud of being part of the Snowbird tram and, and continue to work on, on the installation. And we, we hope to have it around for many more years. From a gondola perspective, we don't have a lot of gondola installations here in Utah, but we do have a few. What are some of the innovations that you have as we look forward to the future of gondola transportation? As in both gondola and chairlift future, we are really making a step to the next generation of these detachable lifts. Doppelmeyer has developed our D-Line product line, so this is the first time that really the detachable technology was completely revamped, first time since the 70s. There's some 200 innovations and new developments in this product line. And so when it comes to gondolas specifically, there's a lot of focus on connectivity. There's features like Wi-Fi. There's a lot of development in terms of what we call autonomous ropeway operation. So you could have a gondola system that doesn't require an attendant. There's a first system in Switzerland that basically allows you to run like a metro system where the cabins just come, people get on in and, and off they go unsupervised. There is, you know, features like seat heating, audio and video type of integration, just a lot of, I would say, tech type of content that's going into new gondola cabins. You know, the Wi-Fi aspect is really interesting, and I'm sure if you threw this out a few years ago and no one would really understand the value of that, but people today, they, they look for that. They look for it in buses, they look for it in airplanes, and now they're looking for it in gondolas, right? It's very true. You know, it, uh, when you book a campsite in the national park system these days, I think they actually have a little rating if you have Wi-Fi at the campsite, which, you know, one could have different opinions about that, but it just highlights the importance, I think, for the customers that are using this systems. And certainly we want to be part of that next step of bringing this technology to, to the guests. You know, I'm curious to get into the mechanical side of things and get away from Wi-Fi for a minute, but how do these ropeways work? And is it a similar technology from a basic fixed grip double chairlift all the way up to maybe your 3S product and others? Is it basically the same thing just with a little bit more oomph? <laughs> 
there's a few features that are scalable, and then there's others that are just really unique technologies. So on a 3S, you would have two track ropes and a haul rope. The track rope, in essence, supporting a lot of the weight, which allows for these really long spans. On a fixed grip, obviously, that would be a bit of an overkill. There's certainly some features that are, you know, you find in every, let's say, aerial rope where you have a grip, you have a carrier, you have a rope, you have towers typically involved, and those are, are scalable and adapted to the specific need. And then there's other some very unique features on, on some of these bigger installations. From an engineering perspective, what are some of the innovations that you've had to put in place as you do get to some of the more sophisticated lifts that you've talked about? I think we're seeing a lot more in terms of safety features, whether it's, you know, rope position detectors or other safety sensors, that there's been a lot of innovation in that area. There's been, you know, features like automated locking restraint bars. So if you have an eight-seater chairlift, right, that runs at high speed, providing a feature like that will allow you to have, let's say, a whole bunch of kids on a chair, you know, with or without supervision because they're safely contained with their restraint bar down. So there's been, you know, just a, a slur of, of innovations that allows these ropeways to perform at, at a higher speed or higher capacity or, or other type of things. And then you have a lot of development in the actual drive of the lift. So there's could have a conventional drive with a motor and the gearbox, or you could also opt for a direct drive, which is a very quiet solution. There's a few of them in the U.S. and I think we'll see more of those. But yeah, it depends on the product, what type of innovation you find. I think on a fixed grip lift in general, you know, if you look back a few generations, going back to your two-seater from maybe 1969, I would say there is a lot that's still the basic technology concept is the same. Obviously, it's been upgraded, but there's still some features that are tried and true and that we still use today. I was curious about the concept of safety sensors. And are you able to with today's technology, monitor many more features, safety elements than you could 10 or 20 years ago? Absolutely. And that also means that the control systems really have evolved a lot, right? One is having a signal come from somewhere along the lift line or the terminal. And then the second piece of that is how the controls process and, and visualize that to the attendant so they can respond accordingly. Mm. Let's talk about lifts here in Utah. And you mentioned before we started the interview, how many lifts you have in Utah. What's that number? I think last time we counted, it was 103. And that's probably about a year ago. So there's certainly lots of them about various generations, various lift types, but uh, we're very integrated in the local skiing community. And we're very happy to be a partner to a lot of our local resorts. I know that you have projects ongoing almost all the time here in Utah, along with the rest of the United States, but Sundance was a big project for you this summer. And can you tell us a little bit about what was put in at Sundance? Because I think a lot of us who've been skiing there for years are really anxious to hear about the next iteration of Sundance. I think there's no reason to be anxious. There's a lot of reason to be excited. They're getting a beautiful four-seater detachable lift out of base with a mid-station, so it'll be a really great ride. The lift is on a slightly different alignment than what guests would have known from the past. There's also a new fixed grip lift that is going in at the same time, so Sundance now has two brand new lifts. And I think together with all the other improvements that Sundance team has put in in the last summer, this really transforms the mountain and will just be an amazing skier and rider experience. 
I think a lot of us are actually really excited about that possibility. It is a great place to ski, and now having some new lifts there will make that even more enjoyable. Do you have any other Utah projects that you can talk about at this time? We have a lot of them coming next year. I think a couple of them have been announced. A couple of them have not been announced. So uh, the one that uh, certainly has been announced is the Utah Olympic Park is getting a new detachable lift. And we're also going to bring the first D-line to Utah. So we're very excited about that but more to come on that in the near future. Can you tell us a little bit more about the D-Line? You touched on it earlier, but I wanted to learn a little bit more about what sets that apart from other lifts. The real differentiator is it being a complete clean sheet design. So imagine you take 40 years worth of learnings and improvement suggestions that were accumulated throughout you know, the history of detachable lift technology, and that was really rolled into a brand new product. So we really see it as, as a brand new generation of detachable lift technology that's geared towards passenger comfort first and foremost. It has wider seats. It has different seat configurations. It just has a ton of new safety features. It is also really geared towards ease of maintenance in terms of the summer activities that the local staff has to go through. It's just been a great product introduction for us. We're going to do six next year. So it's very exciting times for us. You mentioned summer. And I think, if, again, going back in time, lifts were used at ski areas in the winter, but now more and more, more lifts at more resorts are being used in the summer as well. Have you adapted to that new type of usage or relatively new? Absolutely. And that's really one of the other great features of the D-Line. It has a fully integrated bike carrier solution where you have bike clips. So imagine you have a carrier where you pop up your bike and uh, push your front wheel into a bike clip that opens up and then you can self-unload at the top of the mountain. So you don't need someone to pull off your bike for you. The bike carrier will stop held back by a clutch, your carrier will scoot up to it, you unload your bike and off you go. So it really allowed us to think through all these aspects of having a four-season resort, not just having a ski lift. And if you think about that at the conceptual design phase, you just have a lot of options on how you can integrate these different use cases. So we really encourage that to be part of the planning process. I want to move now into looking at lifts as mountain transportation, regional transportation, maybe a little bit less specific to ski areas. And one concept that's close to home right now that a lot of us have been hearing about over the last couple of years is the potential or the opportunity, perhaps, of putting a gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon. Can you talk a little bit about lifts like that as regional transportation, not just ski lifts, but conveyances to move people around areas without doing it in their cars. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been just some great flagship installations in Europe and other parts of the world that aim towards integrating other transportation modes with a gondola or 3S system to access mountains. And really, that's what they're designed for. So I think they're just very suitable for mountainous terrain. You know, we just see a slur of benefits when this integration happens. We're, you know, getting up the mountain in a sustainable, energy-efficient way. just what I think in general the trend is in mountain transportation. It's a very low impact solution compared to a lot of other options. You're not tunneling, you're not blasting for additional roads. It's uh, very accessible. And I think one of the key features when I think of Little Cottonwood Canyon or other similar situations is that having cabins circulate continuously really allows you to feed small quantities of people into 
the locations you're transporting them to. So you avoid waiting times, you avoid queuing times, and you can really scale capacity. So I think looking at some global installations that have accomplished that very successfully, one that comes to mind would be Grindelwald in Switzerland. They have put in a really, really unique infrastructure solution where they have a multimodal terminal where you have a train station, a bus station, a 3S station and the bottom station of a 10-passenger gondola all leave from the same point. And adjacent to that, you still have a car parking structure for about 1,000 vehicles. There's still an option for some people to, to come with their cars as well and park there and continue in a different mode of transportation. And I think you know, these fully integrated systems just have so many benefits in terms of not only moving people, but also evacuating people. You're out of avalanche passes and things like that. If your road isn't functional, you can transport cargo very, very easily. There are some fully integrated cargo systems that load pallets automatically into some of these cabins. So it's just an, an exciting flagship project that we at Stoppelmeyer are very excited about. And I think it's very applicable to a lot of the transportation challenges throughout the world, and especially here in our Canyon situation to safely grant access on especially avalanche days and have the right flow of people, whatever that might be. There's different ideas on what the right capacity is, but these systems are very scalable. You can decide on how many cabins you want to put on, so you can really manage people's flow depending on better or other circumstances. Tell us a little bit more about your 3S product. And this is one that many skiers, if you've been to Whistler before, the peak-to-peak the -peak lift is a 3S installation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that cabin capacity, how that lift moves from terminal to terminal? Yeah, absolutely. So a 3S stands for a tri-cable system. So you'll have two track ropes and one haul rope. The track ropes, in essence, are carrying a lot of the weight. The haul rope is what's pulling up the cabins. Cabin size typically runs somewhere between 25 to 35 people. It can be configured according to the needs of the specific installation. The system runs at pretty high speed. And the nice thing is it can operate in sustained winds up to 60 miles an hour. So you really can have you know, pretty bad weather conditions and it will run reliably. It does offer, obviously, all the, the tech aspects that we talked about in terms of, you know, cabin features, heated seats and, and Wi-Fi integration and so on. I think that, you know, sets it apart in terms of being a sustainable, safe way of accessing mountainous terrain. The installation that you talked about in Grindelwald is, it's quite an amazing region. And having traveled there, places like Wangen, Interlaken, Grindelwald, going up to the Eiger, it's a quite a combination. And you don't use a car there. You don't need a car there. You can take rail, you can take bus, you can take various tramway systems. And the culture has really revolved or evolved around this type of transportation. And do you see that around the world in other regions as well? I think we see it a lot in Europe. We're seeing other integrated transportation systems that include ropeways. Also in South America, a lot of these are urban type of installations. And I honestly feel we'll see a lot more. It's a fairly efficient product in terms of moving people, especially in challenging terrain or very developed terrain. So we are, you know, certainly embracing the trend towards point of interest, urban, and especially urban to mountain 
interconnected transportation and the whole Doppelmayr team is making that a priority in terms of how our lift technology evolves and is, is being used throughout the world. Getting away from ski areas, you were telling me earlier that Asia, Southeast Asia in particular, is one of your biggest areas of growth. Yeah, in terms, of, especially in terms of 3S systems, so very large type of installations. There's a lot of point of interest, tourism focused, rope based there. There's some of our world record installations in terms of tallest towers and largest spans and so on are, are located in Vietnam, where you can grab a 3S ride to a series of islands. Also, China is a very active market when it comes to pretty sizable gondola and 3S installations. But yeah, there's a lot of world records to be found in, in that part of the planet. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion on ski lifts, and I know we've only touched the surface, but I want to thank you for your time here. And we're going to move on to our final section called Fresh Tracks. And I've got a few what I hope will be simple questions for you. And I just want to start it out because I don't want to leave the the whole lift installation thing yet. I know you've only been with Doppelmayr for about three years, but is, if you think about all of the amazing things that the company has done around the world, is there any one really innovative lift installation that you can think of that really comes to mind that really tests the boundaries of technology to offer new means of transportation to skiers? I have a personal favorite, which is the uh, Stoßbahn in Switzerland. It is a funicular and it has barrel-shaped compartments that have a leveling floor. So you always stay horizontal. It's the steepest funicular in the world. And it's just the most unique ride. You're going up this amazing incline and then through a little tunnel and come out on the other side. It actually serves as public transport as well as access to a smaller ski area that's car-free. And it's just an, an amazing installation and a really, really fun ride. I love that. You know, of course, we have our own funicular here in Utah at the St. Regis. In fact, I think it's one of your installations. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a fun lift. I know you've only been in Utah for three years, but have you found a favorite ski run or a favorite place to ski? I like them all. <laughs> That's the diplomatic answer. Okay, we'll get that one <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not as territorial since I'm not native Utah, but I very much enjoy long runs. So I really do like some of the runs up at Snow Basin, but it's off John Paul or Needles that are just making for a good long, fast run. Beautiful. Do you have summer or winter favorite thing for you to do in Utah? Anything outdoor. So um, my husband and I absolutely love to camp, to backcountry hike, to off-road, to anything else you can think of. So it's been just wonderful for us to have this all right in our backyard, and we're very grateful for that. Yeah, there's a lot to do here outdoors. Yep, there is. And you've been down to the desert. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody comes to Utah for the skiing and then they go down to the desert. Now that you are here in Utah, have you developed a favorite high west whiskey brand yet? Not quite yet, but I just received my very first bottle as a gift the other day, and I'll certainly keep sampling until I find it. They're, of course, a sponsor of Last Chair. We appreciate that, but I'm sure you will become a devotee. And then lastly, and this is always a tough one for people, and I didn't prep you on that, but if you think about all that Doppelmayr does to help skiers enjoy the experience on the mountain, what's one word, one word that comes to mind that you and Doppelmayr bring to all of us to make our mountain experience even better? One word. I don't know. For me personally, it would be like freedom related, just, you know, being able to get out into terrain. But I don't know what I can pick a good freedom word for that. Just pick freedom. <laughs> just pick freedom. That, I love that. Is that good? 
It's great. You bring freedom. Katerina, thank you so much for joining us, enlightening us a little bit on lift technology. Uh, we as skiers really appreciate the fact that you have these great conveyances to get us up the mountain and do what we love to do up on the hill. Thanks so much, Tom. I hope to see you up here on the mountain very soon. I'll admit, with my own experience traveling around Europe and other parts of the world, I've seen amazing ways that regional mountain transportation networks can be formed with innovative uses of lift technology. I'm a big proponent. And a big thanks to Katarina Schmitz for taking the time to enlighten us on the possibilities from Doppelmayr's perspective. As a passionate outdoor enthusiast myself, I know the value of a good shop where pros can help guide your purchasing decision. In my 30 plus years living here in Park City, Utah, I've come to really respect Jan's Mountain Outfitters. It's been the shop in Park City since 1980. Since the day my friend Jan opened the store, it's been staffed by knowledgeable experts. Today, over 500 combined years of experience in their fields. The Jan's team will ensure that you are properly outfitted for your next mountain adventure, whether it's skiing, riding, cycling, hiking, snowshoeing, fly fishing, or more. And if you're looking for a new pair of skis, each season the Jan staff tests over 100 pairs of skis to personally learn about each one firsthand. Ask about Jan's Try It Before You Buy It program. If you're looking for rental gear, including clothing, this is an area where Jan's really shines. You can rent from the shop that sells the best. Here's an area where Jan's really excels in my book. There are many places in town that you can get your skis or boards tuned. But to me, the experienced World Cup pros at Renstall make it the best spot to get a simple tune or a full World Cup level prep. I was just in the shop at Deer Valley last week getting some skis prepped for the season. I could go on and on from boot fitting to guided fly fishing trips to snowshoeing. Jan's has it all. So when you're in town this winter, stop by one of Jan's shops in Park City. Check them out in advance at jans.com. That's jans.com. Jans, your mountain recreation experts. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. It has been a great few weeks for snowfall here in Utah, and we appreciate the fact that you joined us today on Last Chair. We'll be back soon with more episodes. To close this out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. For all of us at Ski Utah, I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Ski Utah.